We live in a world of dynamic cyber threats, but one thing is clear, human behavior is the most vulnerable target for attacks. Welcome to Behave by CyberSafe, the foremost cybersecurity podcast focused on human cyber risk. Organizational awareness is no longer enough, so how will your team stay protected? Be sure to subscribe to Behave on your preferred listening app for cutting edge insights into our evolving industry and stay ahead of the shift to security behaviors and human risk quantification. Enjoy the episode. Hello, welcome to episode two of the Behave podcast. My name is Ben Donaldson and I'm your host for today's episode. I lead on the community engagement side of things here at CyberSafe and I'm lucky enough today to be joined by the brilliant Mads Howard. Mads is the people-centered security lead at Sage, an accounting software company with an HQ in Newcastle. I know she definitely wants me to include that to give the tune a shout out. She's also a director at Sinam, a Cheltenham-centric platform enabling uh, networking, innovation, and collaboration uh, for the cyber technology industry. Mads, thanks for joining me. Hello, Ben. Lovely to be here. I know I gave you literally two minutes before this to say that we we're going to be recording on video as well. So you've been clattering around. Yeah, I would love to know the percentage of people that would assume podcasts have video as well. And um, yeah, I've now just had to frantically scrub bronzer into my face because for a Monday morning, I was not podcast appropriate. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. You look great. Now, we, we had Lance uh, Spitzner and Oz on, on our first episode, so there's absolutely no pressure for us to make this a better episode. Oh, I think they're potentially the biggest boots to fill. I mean, we'll, we'll do our best. We'll do our best. Let's, uh, all right, let, let's get into it. Um, I'd like to start with an icebreaker question for these things and being a massive lover of pizza. You go into a, a pizza restaurant or you're ordering pizza, you can choose four toppings. Excluding like cheese and tomato base, what are you having? I'm having a calzone, meat feast. Meat feast, okay, but is that like pepperoni? Is it? I'm having it all, like whatever four meats are like quickest to hand for the chef in a calzone, no mess, delicious, little dipping sauce. Why? Why the calzone? May I ask? I don't know. I just, I love I love the Cornish pasty, and I just feel like the the cal, a calzone is a pizza version of a Cornish pasty. So there you go. I like that. I, I feel like that needs more depth, but that's fine. We can cover it at, at a later stage. Mads, how would you describe your role at Sage in, in one sentence if somebody stopped you and asked you in the, street, in the street? So I don't like to use the word influencer because I don't like the word influencers, but a lot of people in the business say that it's essentially an influencer role. You're trying to influence people's behaviours. You're trying to take people on this journey with you, make them believe in something, make them buy in something. So I would say it's around security influencing, but I'm not going to create an Instagram account and start selling uh, YubiKeys as a security influencer. No, that's that's also true. It's super interesting. I think your role is very different to a lot of the ones in the security industry. And we I think we met three years ago when I was still working at Dyson. I've seen it, it changed, but you've you've recently moved into the people-centered security lead role. Talk to me about that title. So when my role was kind of changing, and I when I joined Sage, it was the first role that they had in the business that was kind of primarily going to look at security, culture, awareness, and behavior change. And when they recruited for the role, the role was very generic. And I think over the last year and a half, the work that I've been doing, but also like the work that the security team has been doing, it really helped define the the role that they wanted in the future. And I firmly believe that Sage is taking a really interesting approach with this role because they've been very clear, not only 
to the industry and externally that we're putting people at the centre of what we're doing by titling this role with people centred security lead. But also it's a very, it's a very, very, very clear role to our colleagues and people in the business. It's not ambiguous. We're, we're really saying that we are putting people at the centre of the way that we do security. And one of our values is around making security human. And so it just really feels like it ties into all of that and just makes it very, very, very unified in terms of what we're saying to the business about what this role is there to do. And whether it's me or whoever it is, I think it sends a really positive message to the business about what that role is there to do. Sure, absolutely. And do you sit within a compliance team or kind of a, an IT-wide team or security team? Yeah, no. So we, we've got a global security team and the global security team has grown over, like, over the last kind of two years. It's really matured. And I report uh, into actually, as of today, the new director of security awareness and engagement, which again, I think is potentially a first. Like I've not seen somebody sit at a director level role. So I report into Sophia and then she reports into Benang, our CISO. So I work very close with the CISO. And then I work super closely across the whole of the global security team. So we've got, you know, in-house offensive security, SOC, cyber defense operations, application security. So it's a really, really cohesive effort across the security team. That sounds amazing. And it's interesting about the director of, was it director of culture? So not culture, because we're not allowed to put culture because we have a culture team. And it also feeds into the fact that we're not trying to create a security culture. We're trying to create one culture. We're trying to create the sage culture, which is a secure culture, which I really love because we're not pulling in a different direction. We're saying they're like, this is our culture at Sage and it's a secure one. And this is like how we have that, how we build that culture and where we're heading. But yeah, first time I think I've ever seen director, kind of the director level for a role of this type um, within an organization. So I'm super proud of what Sage is doing there. Sure. And was your role the first of its kind in the business? So you're now seeing it. Yeah. So when I joined, it was as global information security coordinator and they they essentially had had like a cultural assessment done and then they needed this piece of work picking up and I came in to help support with that. But it was definitely like a first for the business. And it's um it's been great. Like being able to kind of shape your own destiny with this sort of role has been really fantastic and having like really clear guidance and support from senior leaders has been super important. That's really cool. It, you, we touched on it very briefly then. It was another thing I really, really want to touch on in all of these podcast episodes is getting buy-in from the wider security team. I know that from when we've talked compared to other people working in the industry, you get a, a lot of positive support from your security team, the wider security team. How did that come about? Is it just because you're great at talking or? I mean, um, no. And do you know what? It's really interesting. Over like the last few months, I've just realised how important it is to make a difference when you have your security team bought in because I'm able to do so much and lean on so many people and draw in so many different metrics and insights and have access to so many different areas of the business because my security team are really on board and support the work that we're doing in this space. They really get why it's beneficial to them. When I first joined the business, one of the first things I did is I thought, how can I, how can I help before I do anything? How can I help each of our different teams in the security team to really understand, to help them understand the value that I could add to them? Because in some small way, I'm an extension of their team, whether it's for our application security team, supporting the developer community and run, helping run workshops for them, 
or our SOC and our cyber defense operations team, helping them communicate with colleagues if something has gone wrong. So I knew that there was value in my role to each of these teams, but I really wanted to demonstrate and prove that to them because a lot of people, you know, when I speak to peers in the industry, they say, oh, you know, my SOC don't really help. I can't really get metrics when I need them. But I would really say that getting that culture right within the security team, where there is that fluid transparency and communication and that want and that need to help each other has been so, so, so beneficial to the way that we've done things and the way that we've run programs. And I think a great example of this is in Cybersecurity Week, I'd said to someone how, oh yeah, we've got our SOC, we've got them running two sessions where they're going to be talking to colleagues. And somebody had said, you're going to let your SOC speak to colleagues <laughs> and I was a bit like yeah of course like of course I am but that's because I've worked so closely with them now that they 100% understand the messaging the tone the way in which we communicate the way in which we influence our colleagues they totally understand why that's so important because that groundwork's been put in place yeah for sure uh, that relationship between the SOC especially because they're, they're really the people who are technically on, on the ground, seeing what's happening, seeing the threats. They can feed that back to you and work in that relationship. We had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, the kind of, I guess, the realisation that actually you can really be of help to them, not just them kind of being of help to you. So getting that relationship right. Because you can, can sometimes feel like it's like, I want, I need this. No, I want, but I do want. But like, I need this from you. I need that from you. And actually taking a moment to really understand what what you can offer those people in that role is really important. And it's sometimes, you know, actually giving that team exposure across the business. A lot of the work that, you know, we as security culture professionals do, you have to raise that visibility of the security team in the business. You have to make the security team relevant. You have to make them accessible. And so being able to say to like our offensive security team, hey, come and do this presentation, get in front of these people. You know, you're giving people that ability to have access to different people in the business, which is really important for them, again, feeling part of the team, them feeling like they're getting value from you, you getting feeling like you're getting value from them. Yeah, agrees. I was at a, a talk uh, last week with um, Leanne Potter, who will also be a guest on the podcast later on. I know you know her, but she, she was talking that often... The security team as a whole are, are kind of perceived as this people who are work blockers. They don't really cause enablement and, and so on. And I guess the roles that you, I have done in the past, they're so important to, to completely changing that perception. Going about it, you often, it is a bit of an uphill struggle. It is, it is trying to find that balance between, right, who do we engage at a senior leadership level, but also who do we need, need to engage on a more of a ground level to find that common ground and make sure that like you said, the culture of the entire business wraps around security. It's not just we're trying to build a secure culture kind of just for our little. It's it's no, super important. It's about going out to the business and saying, we are here to help you. What do you need? What are you concerned about? Whether it's a senior leader, a manager, you know, whatever. But we're here to help you and having that really genuine approach of like, we actually want to help you be better. We want to help you not be worried. We want to help you and your colleagues do things in a more secure way, whether that's in work or at home. But actually being very genuine in your approach, honestly, like that's the most important thing, because as soon as you're not genuine, blockers are coming down and people people just think, oh, that's 
security who are coming, you know, top down heavy. This is just to tick the things that they need to do. No, like if you you come at things from a really genuine place, people are far more likely to engage with you and want to engage with you. Yeah, then we could could talk about it for ages about the whole being able to say to somebody, look, I, I want to help you. When in the past, it's always been, you need to do this for a tick box exercise. You've got to do this. You need to do compliance training and you can't do this. But actually now you're turning around and being like, look, okay, that is how security awareness has been in the past or security as a whole has been in the past. We had to change that. We want to help you. How can we kind of be more business enablers to help your lives kind of make your lives easier, but also make it as secure as it can be as possible? Yeah, 100%. We had a really good example recently where... Our sales team actually said to us, security, you were key. Security were key to closing this deal. And I thought, wow, because previously security might have been seen as, you know, trying to work through a sales process of security have been annoying here, security being annoying here, but they were key in helping close that deal. And that's where that's that approach of being genuine and like, we actually want to help. We want to help you get this over the line. But I love finding examples like that across the business of where actually security is actually making a positive impact and difference, not just at a security level, but actually at helping a business grow and scale and make a difference in terms of how it's moving and shaping it at, at, at kind of a business level. Yeah, do you do you do anything with those stories? Do you kind of like do you, do you talk to other teams about it or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have a Yammer page. I'm sure like other companies have their own like internal internet pages, but we have really recognised that our colleagues love like colleague stories. It's very like human-led, colleague-led at Sage. And so we shared that. We asked the senior leader if they would share it on the AMA page because it's also about the narrative. How is security pitched within the business? If security is only speaking to you when they want something, they need you to do something, you're only ever going to have a certain opinion of security in a business. If suddenly you're going, oh my God, look at that. Security was key to helping win this, do that. They've done this suddenly that narrative of how security is perceived in the business totally changes. And like, look, there's work to be done. Of course, we're not there yet. But like those little anecdotes and stories that pitch security completely differently to how people traditionally see it, that's really important for changing people's behaviours and also their mindset towards security as a topic, as a theme, as a, you know, a thing that they have to do. It makes it relevant, right? It, it's it's no longer anecdotal thing that somebody said, oh, well, like, yeah, we, we, we have done this. It's like when you're t- t- talking to people, uh, usually a lot of talks, I still do a few of them, talking to people anecdotally about, I guess, the whole, well, this has actually happened to somebody in the business or this is how we have helped the business. It makes it so much more relevant to them and, and what they're doing. No, it, it, it is vital. And a lot of people now, now are, are using those methods to really drive that engagement and, and get people more invested and, and understanding that we are ultimately here to help and 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 do better for the business, I guess. We spoke about this very briefly earlier before the call, and it's something I really want to, to touch on now is, is metrics in the industry and, and what do we measure? In the past, it has always been fishing and training completion rates. That's, that's what a lot of the obsession is about. Firstly, I'd like your opinion on it. And then I want to kind of follow up with another question on where do you see it going next? 
Okay, so opinion on fishing. I think you're right. There is definitely an obsession. I think I can, un I understand where the obsession has come from because if you rewind back five years or however long, that was almost like the first metric that you could use to demonstrate like were people doing the right behavior or not. But I think it's very, um, you know, it's a period of time that you're measuring. It's not a complete picture of has somebody changed that behavior. So you don't know if people are stressed or whatever's happening on that day that that fishing simulation is sent. I think there's a time and a place for them. But I really think as an industry, we have to move away from them being the be all and end all and them being the benchmark for everything that we do. Yeah, I'm not obsessed with fishing. I am... Um, I, and also, I, I don't think, I, as a business, I don't think we're obsessed with fishing. It's not something that's, you know, continually run in the business, but it is something that we, we do do because it's, you know, it is industry standard to do it still. In terms of where I think the industry is going, so one metric I would love to see, and I don't know like how this could be developed, would be a metric around how many of our colleagues have taken information we have given them and then told their friends and families and got them to change their behaviours. And I don't know how you measure that, but one of my favourite things to measure, and we would measure's the wrong word, but like one of my favourite things is when colleagues say to us, that piece of advice you told me, I told my mother and she found it really useful because she did X, Y or Z. She added multifactorial authentication on her accounts. So that's for me, that's a real demonstration of people changing their behaviours because if you're teaching somebody else something you have understood it, you recognize the benefit to you, and you're then telling someone else. Um, how we measure that, I haven't got a clue. So if anyone wants to take that away and come up with some kind of little scientific thing to measure that, um, just come straight to me because I'll bite your hand off. I'll invest in that personally because that is, that is what I want to know. But in terms of metrics, I think it's important that we now think strategically about metrics that really demonstrate a behavior, a behavior change and not just a behavior at a point in time, but actually behavior change. You can't do month by month. It has to be over a long period of time. So we can't just say that we're going to start measuring metrics uh, every quarter because I don't really think that you can measure true behavior change over that period. Also, you're not going to measure it over a year's time. Like we're talking, this has to go on for a considerable amount of time to really measure the impact of if people are listening and actually taking in information. For me, though, I have learned very, very, not quickly, but definitely over the last kind of three, four months, that there's a real narrative around what you're asking people to do. And Unless people genuinely care about what you're telling them to do, they're not going to change their behaviours. And so when it comes to metrics, I think we have to think about, are we measuring stuff that, as real, that realistically we're going to see a change in? So multi-factor authentication, for instance, if you're a business that doesn't have multi-factor authentication as standard and you have to adopt that single sign-on, that's great. But actually... That's an important metric to measure because people actually might want to do that because they care about doing that. If you're a business that has multi-factor authentication enabled as standard, that's a pointless metric to measure. So I think it's about really nuancing what you as a business want to see change based on your behaviours and also the technologies that you have in place that can look at changing that because I'm not going to measure multi-factor authentication adoption because it's as standard across the business. So yeah, an interesting one. But the thing with metrics, Ben, is 
I think we have this idea of all of the metrics we would like to pull. Unless you have the right tools and technologies in place, you're not going to be able to pull them. And unless you really understand the behaviors, the key behaviors that you want to drive, you're, you could end up just getting metric blind and just pulling metrics for the sake of pulling metrics. And if they're not meaningful and if they're not strategic, it's a pointless exercise. And similarly, if those metrics aren't actually helping people at the end of the day change or give them support they need at the right time, a pointless exercise. Going back to, to your point about being able to see who's sending what outside of the organization, it's, it's an advocacy thing, right? If somebody's actively wanting to send things to friends, family, A, they're finding it useful, so it's worth being there. And B, they're actually helping people outside of, of wherever they are. And, and, and I know we've, we've seen that a lot. I saw it so much at Dyson that as soon as you apply things that, yes, need to be maybe changed at work to a home environment, where actually people are a lot more vulnerable or they know that their parents are a lot more vulnerable or they're the kind of the youngsters are, they get much more on board with it. And even just being able to see, yes, this person shared this video or this person shared this piece of, con- piece of content, you can then see who your security advocates are in the business as a whole. Why not make them champions? Why not kind of get them much more involved in those, those types of things? It's, it has been done. Yeah, I, I almost like the the pitching of if you make people think about like people care about more stuff in their home life than they do at work life. I totally get that narrative. But I think like, let's just cut that because let's just talk about making people more secure. Like whether we're talking about at work or at home, like let's just talk about making you more secure. And I think that's the role we play is actually whenever I'm talking to colleagues, obviously I'm employed by Sage and I love working for Sage, but I really just care about making you more secure. I really just want you to be the most secure person you can be because you're not going to change your behaviours. And so I think this like pitching of, oh, you know, if if you make them more secure outside of work, they're more secure inside of work. Why don't we just like cut that and let's just say we want to make you more secure because people get that, that also people know that you care about them. If you say this session is about whatever we're talking about, it, we're talking about taking your personal security to the next level. Well, we're talking about making you more secure, knowing full well that you're not going to log onto your laptop and go, now I'm going to start being insecure. I, so I think it's almost like, I think we've moved past that, like make people secure in their personal life, they're more secure in their home life. Like, no, we're just making people more secure. Like that is the role that we have to play. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying security and being secure is, is going to become a life skill. And it, it is. Like, it's so true. It, it is going to be something that if you are using online technology, it is a life skill that you can be like, yeah, okay, I know how to do this, this, and this. And, and we're going to see that shift. And that, do you know what? It's, I ran a session with some kids and we did a session about passwords. And um, it was called Pop Stars and Passwords. And like, obviously, I started the session by singing and these kids looked at me like, what is this woman doing? But it was so, so, so interesting because I then uh, met a couple of the parents, like it was another school event, and the parents were like, oh, you're mad. You did the session on passwords with our daughters. And I was like, oh, yeah, duh. And they said those girls came home. They told their parents when they had their grandparents around at the weekend, they were teaching their grandparents. And so, like, this is life, it's life skills. Like, this isn't something that just businesses should be teaching and, you know, we're seeing governments pushing out more stuff, but like, this is life skills. This is like the way the world's going. Let's get you secure. We've secured the technology. I think Lance said on the last podcast, like we've almost pushed 
people to attack humans because attacking technology is becoming more and more difficult. So like, let's just equip people the best that we can. Let's make people the most secure versions of themselves that they can be. Let's give them those tools. Let's give them those that knowledge and let's make sure that they're happy and they understand it. And they're like, yeah, no problem. I've got this. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It's it's actually really cool to see. We both do work with, with schools through um, the NCSC and seeing how invested that younger generation are now in this kind of thing. And like, I think when I was perhaps at school or even in uni, I look at cybersecurity and be like, God, no, I, I need to be really technical to do anything to do with that. I don't understand how a computer works. It's a little bit geeky that, but actually there are so many skills and life skills from, I guess, this side of security that you can really build on. And from that younger generation up, if they're, they're being taught it from a young age, then supporting them and giving them the right tools to then have those life skills of being secure when they're in a workplace will make them more employable. They'll be better at kind of protecting themselves and, and, and their workplace is not that most people. But that's, that's also like, that's our role in a business, right? It's like, if you can talk so passionately about cybersecurity that people go, oh my God, like I've never heard anybody talk about cybersecurity like that. You know, they that that is our role is to make it exciting and relevant and accessible to them you know it doesn't matter who you're talking to but if you can really capture people and go no I want you to listen to me because this is important I I think that is the role that we we play is about it's inspiring people to recognize that this is essentially a life skill um, and we want we want you to be we want you to be secure that's it yeah yeah totally your role obviously being quite different and the, the title being quite different we're seeing this I guess more people talking about it. It's not really a shift yet, but I think it could be the way that it's heading is is shaping roles from security awareness, professionals, managers, coordinators, to human cyber risk managers. Thoughts? I don't like risk. I think, uh, and I love all of my colleagues who work in the risk team, but I think risk just like really gives a bit um, of red flags. I don't think it's kind of that warm, fuzzy feeling that you need when you're engaging with colleagues from across the business. I totally get the kind of narrative, but I think that it's very much a term that speaks to our industry. And like, I get it, you get it, you know, our peers will understand what that what that means. But I think when you're in a role where you are engaging with colleagues from across the business, teams with the, across the business, having something like cyber risk in your title, like if I got an email from somebody that was cyber risk whatever I think instantly you'd think have I done something wrong like am I in trouble like but I can totally see the kind of narrative I think definitely we have to shift away from awareness like come on like we're 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 moving on from that um but I just think that I understand it from an industry perspective but from like a in practice what are we trying to do I don't think it tells potentially the best narrative to our colleagues and the people that we're engaging with and that we're trying to get on board yeah yeah human cyber risk is a thing yes and i i think like if i if i sent an email saying like oh hey i'd love for you to come to this session like we're talking about this like blah blah blah, from mad's human cyber risk i would be like oh my gosh am i like am i human cyber risk and obviously if you're engaging with colleagues it's potentially because you've identified them for that but i think that it almost could instill a little bit of like oh my goodness what's actually like what have I done something wrong here yeah 
Yeah, which is totally the way that we want to move away from, which it probably has been in the past. The old, old kind of method of you messed up, you've done this wrong, you clicked on this. Let's kind of move past that and actually be like, right, okay, this has happened. How can we help you and kind of make you more included in, in how we are helping helping the business move forward? And I think I think we as an industry, you know, especially this space, it's not like the traditional technology roles where there's necessarily very clear paths. Like we are creating our own kind of new paths and working out what the next steps look like for the industry and for our roles. But I think we always need to like have in mind of what are these roles here to do? And yes, it is to reduce human cyber risk. But I think that we the way that we are doing that as an industry is by not telling people that they are uh, a risk, but doing it in a really positive, you know, that that kind of way, or at least I am. Maybe it's me. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think you're you're alone. There are a lot of people who perhaps want to get to that point, but they are stuck in a business where I don't know, perhaps senior leadership are just so laser focused on this. Have people completed their security awareness training? Tick. Have they, do we do run phishing simulations? Tick. They can't see anything past that. And that's fine. Businesses take time to change. And uh, the kind of there is that whole um, change takes for eight to 10 years to, to take place and people will move through those different stages. But we are starting to see that gradual shift away from, right, we'll park security awareness training and kind of those metrics and pass there. What do we actually need to do in the future to make this something that we can get people on board with, but also we're helping them at the same time at the point they need it whilst enabling them to still do their job? No, yeah, definitely. It's, um, it, yeah, it's all new. I think that's the thing that we have to remember is this is very much a new Field. I think there's maybe been a period of, uh, you know, the kind of same things have been spoken about in the industry, the way in which things have been done. Um, and so, you know, I certainly love speaking to peers in the industry who are trying stuff, trying new things, doing new things, have that support from senior leaders to say, hey, I'd re actually really like to try this thing. There's no evidence to suggest it's going to work. Um, but I'd like to try it because I think that it could work based on, you know, my knowledge of our colleagues and the business culture and that sort of thing. So I think it's um, it's important to be a little bit experimental with this um, because there's not kind of a clear set path of how things must be done. Um, and that varies, again, for depending on what industry you're working in. You know, we're a software company. The things that we value are very different to another organization and things that they value. So the things that you put your time and energy into are going to be very different. The way that you measure risks are going to be very different. So I think it's about um, under really understanding your organisations, what they think are the riskiest areas. You know, what do they want time and energy putting into, and then having a little bit of fun. Let's face it, let's have some fun with it, but do things differently. I think it's about time that we were really quite bold in our approach to changing people's behaviours, mindsets, and the way that we're thinking about security. Like, let's let's be interesting with it now. Yeah, and there's, it was a conversation that came up at the community event that we had around each business needs to almost just kind of take a step back, identify, like you say, what the riskiest areas, what are the biggest things that we need to protect, and then go from there. There's no, there isn't going to be a one size fits all approach, and each organisation is going to be at different stages of that kind of that, that progress chart. But being able to see that and then be like, right, okay, we're going to focus on this. I think one of the biggest mistakes certainly I made um, was was that. I tried to just do everything all at once and you get nowhere. You, you, you change nothing. You don't help anyone. You just kind of cause yourself stress by being like, oh my God, all these different things aren't, aren't progressing because I'm trying to do a million and one things. 
Yeah. Well, so when I when I joined Sage, Ben, and I remember this because I was very much in the same position that you've just outlined there. I thought I'm new to the business and he's trying to do everything and he's hit everything. I need to change everyone's behaviours, um, and that should have happened yesterday. You know, like you have that pressure on yourself because you want to come in and you want to make a difference and you want to make an impact. And I remember Ben Ung, who's our CISO, saying, Mads, we're a software business. Like, if we don't build secure software and have good security culture within our engineering teams, like, that is our, that's our kryptonite. That's our crown jewels as a business that we have to keep secure. So, Yes, there's lots of stuff that happens at a general level, but fundamentally a lot of the work and the people that I'm engaging with are in that area because that's the area where we've gone. They are the people that we need to make sure that we reduce risks in. And then you think about other areas of the business, but you can't go into any business and try and influence everybody. You're going to have much, much, much better impact thinking really strategically about who are the kind of key crucial areas in that business that really, 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 you need to make it, you need to impact um, and you need to change behaviours in. If only we had more CISOs like Ben. Like Ben, Ben Ung, what a great CISO. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mads. Um, I think that just to kind of round off, I know we've kind of, um, we've touched on a lot of of different things here, but what do you think people should start doing to get ready for the future in a security awareness role, but also kind of, those things will go outwards as well. Uh, stop thinking about fishing, number one. Try new things, like 100% try new things. Don't be afraid to think no one in the industry has done this, so why, like, uh, it's not proved It's not proved that it's going to work. Try new things. And please, please, please build relationships with your security team. Like, some of the best security um, posts, engagement methods we've done. They've been ideas. They haven't come from me. Like, I'm not going to try and rip off the security teams. They've come from the security team. They've said, why don't we do this? So they would be my my three things. And in terms of getting ready for the future, I think we need to really strategically think about the way that we're engaging with colleagues. I touched on this earlier. Stop saying we're, you know, talking about home and work. We're talking about making you more secure because I think this definitely is it's a lifestyle. It's, it's lessons that we need to learn for life. So I think the way that we pitch it, let's be just really, really crucially clear. Brilliant. I thought that fourth one was going to be eat calzone pizza because it's like a pasty. But... Eat calzone because it's like a Cornish pasty. Oh, actually, and number five, if you're doing a podcast, make sure you put makeup on beforehand. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Brilliant. Matt, just to round off. I want you to kind of tell the audience one thing that you'd recommend either reading, listening to, watching that has I don't know, shaped your career slash life. Okay, so I'm currently reading the Jeff White Lazarus Heist book. I actually saw him at the Cheltenham Science Festival. And we're also actually going to give away some of his books at Cybersecurity Week as like gifts to colleagues who win. Because I think it's a really interesting way of bringing cybersecurity into the real world without like ramming security down people's throats. Um, So that's probably my book recommendation. In terms of watching, I actually loved, and this is again, it's quite old school, but I really loved the Tinder Swindler documentary on Netflix. I would, again, I would actually say one of the best, like most engaging things we did is an article internally about how the Tinder Swindler documentary related to security. So like I loved, I absolutely loved that because it really, a lot of people engaged with it. They really understood that kind of relevance to the real world. And then listening, I do love the um, eighth layer. Is it eighth layer insight? 
yeah. podcast that Perry Carpenter does. I might have got the name wrong, but that's an excellent um, podcast that I do really, really enjoy. Yeah, and obviously this now. <laughs> you don't need to know. Yeah. Well, who knows? This could be the next big, big, big podcast. Boom, mic drop. <laughs> Maz, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure there will likely be an episode two at some point in the future, but um, it's been great to have you here and we'll catch up in the next couple of weeks. Oh, lovely. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben.